All right, you may be seated. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me at the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We'll be looking at the first two verses of Acts chapter 12 today. And my aim is pretty simple. Just from these two verses, what I would like for us to do is really just develop a theology of martyrdom. What it means to be a martyr. What, the, what does the Bible have to say about being a martyr for Christ? So we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and flesh that out just a little bit. I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord in prayer with me. Father, we're grateful for this Lord's Day. It sure is a gift of your grace to us, God. In your infinite wisdom, you knew that we would need each and every Lord's Day. So you ordained for us to keep it. And you've commanded us to keep it. And then in your wisdom, Lord, you've taught us how to keep it. That we sing your word, we pray your word, we read your word, and we hear your word preached. Lord, you are good. Better to us, Lord, than we could ever deserve. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for your spirit. God, thank you for being patient with us and long-suffering, forgiving. God, we could go on and on and on, and we're just grateful today. You are our great shepherd. We are your sheep. We pray, God, that you speak to us today through your word. We pray, God, that you challenge us, convict us, exhort us, reprove us, lead us to repentance and faith. God, I pray you stir our hearts to love you like never before and to serve you with the right motives and the right, the right desires. God, I pray you use us like you've never used us before. God, I do pray that we will be spent for the gospel and give us the strength we need as we are serving. So we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we thank you for this time. And God, we pray for illumination from your spirit. All of this in Christ's name we ask. Amen. According to Open Doors USA, I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry, but according to Open Doors USA in 2020, worldwide, there are over 340 million Christians that live in places that are hostile to the gospel. And all these statistics I'm about to give you are just statistics that are reported. So the reality is what I'm about to share with you, we could probably bump these numbers up 
even higher because in many cases persecution and martyrdom and all these types of things go unnoticed and undocumented. So this is what's been documented. In 2020, 4,761 of our brothers and sisters in Christ were killed for their faith in Jesus. In 2020, 4,488 churches were intentionally attacked, targeted. In 2020, 4,277 believers were detained without any type of trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. We just saw that same thing happen in the last two weeks where in Canada, the exact same thing happened there. Pastor Jim in Sub-Saharan Africa, the number of Christians that have been martyred in 2020 rose by 2.7 times. So 2.7 times as many martyrs in 2020 as there were in 2019. It's interesting as I've watched things unfold for us here at Everglades while God continues to put us in Africa. God's given us open doors to Uganda and Ghana and uh, been in Kelsey in South Africa, if I am correct, Zanzibar. There's a reason for all of this. Open Doors says the top five countries that are most hostile to the gospel are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. This is a mind-blowing statistic. As this has been tracked for the last 20 years, the nation of North Korea has been the most hostile nation to the gospel on the face of the planet for 20 years. So why would you start that way? Well, we are starting, we are talking today about a theology of martyrdom. But also, we do need to understand the times that we live in in our culture. Amen? Our own current culture. What's happening in America even today? For a long time, for us in America, persecution and martyrdom seem remote, far away, distant. It's something that happens way, 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 way far away from us. Yes, we should pray when we remember. Yes, we should think about our brothers and sisters in Christ when we remember. But that's happening there. We're relatively peaceful here. But brothers and sisters, in case you haven't noticed, things are changing in our country. They're changing rapidly in our country. I don't know if you've ever been outside, spent much time outside, but when you see a storm, a storm front blowing in, you can see it coming over the horizon. That's what we're seeing. And in reality, we're already seeing some of it has been here for a while, and the intensity of that storm is growing. Just last week, before our Congress came the Equality Act to be voted on to further push critical race theory and intersectionality upon us as American people. Now you know that we don't preach politics here as, as, as a church. We preach the gospel. But we do need to be informed as to what's happening in our landscape. And it does have a bearing on what we're talking about this morning. Because as critical race theory and intersectionality continues to gain, continues to gain root, continues to spread, 
and continues to become the single dominant worldview in our Christian culture, it will have an impact on us as Christians. You better believe it. By the way, Equality Act has already passed the House and will be coming up before the Senate very soon for a vote. Please be in prayer for that. So, we as American Christians, are we at the point where we are being martyred for our faith? The reality is we're not at that point yet. But let's not forget what happened in 1999. Do you remember what happened in 1999? Some of you don't because you weren't born then. But some of you that are old like me, you remember Columbine High School. Does that ring a bell? Rachel Scott, Cassie Bernal were gunned down specifically for being Christians. So it has happened on our soil. And as things continue to progress, unless the Lord intervenes, brothers and sisters, we need to develop a theology of martyrdom. Amen, somebody. We do. We need to develop a theology of persecution and suffering for the gospel. We certainly live in a fallen world and we suffer with cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, bad backs, hurt knees. The list can go on and on and on. But the day is coming quickly where we are going to have to stand for what is right. And the stand that you make will be very costly. Each individual person will have to make that decision. Each church will have to make that decision. It's coming quickly. So here's my question. What are we to do? Seriously. What are we to do? When you think about what's here, when you think about what's coming, you think about the implications that it has on us as Christians. What are we to do? How are we to view this? How are we to see this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think part of the answer is developing a theology of martyrdom. Look with me at the text. Acts chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. The Bible says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. You know what Luke has done for us? As all of the story of Acts has unfolded up until this point, he has shown us how the gospel has, has pushed further and further and further and further and further away from Jerusalem. And lest we forget, he takes us back to Jerusalem to show us what's happening in the church there. That the gospel has been planted there, and the gospel has been bearing fruit there, and the gospel will continue to bear fruit there, and he's letting us know that people are dying for their faith there. 
Now, one of the things that you need to understand about this passage of Scripture when it talks about Herod, there were five different Herods. This was Herod Agrippa. This particular Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, you're already familiar with at the birth of Christ when you read about the unfolding of Christ's life. And there was a Herod that the Bible talks about that the wise men went and spoke to. Do you remember that Herod? And that Herod, if you remember, was bloodthirsty and wanted to retain his power and was worried about a king that was prophesied to arise and usurp him. So he thought, because he didn't understand scripture, and you know how the story unfolds. He decided that he would kill all the baby boys under the age of two. That Herod is the grandfather of the Herod in our text. Herod the Great, though, was such a great guy that he killed his own son to retain power. So this Herod in our text, Herod Agrippa, was moved from Jerusalem for his protection and was raised in Rome. He was raised there as a Roman, though he was also a Jew. You say, big deal, so what? What does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with it because by the time he comes to power, he only, he only comes to power because of friends that he had when he grew up, childhood friends, that as they ascended to power in Rome, did him a favor and put him in power in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? Politics is never new. Amen? And if there was ever a politician, Herod Agrippa was a politician's politician. Because if you read about him, Herod had a gift of being like the Romans when he needed to be like the Romans and being like a Jew when he needed to be like a Jew. He talked out of both sides of his mouth, so to speak. He did what he needed to do to keep his power. So that means this. He's put in power, ruling over the Jews, conveniently claiming his right that he was a Jew, which is true, for his own political gain. Which meant then that he began to bend over backward and do backwards to do favors for the Jews so that they would like him and keep him in power. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar. Some things never change. Now, there's another dot that we need to connect. There was this movement called Christianity that arose. They tried to stomp it out with King Jesus. Didn't work. So now, there's a new power in place, King Herod Agrippa. And to do the Jews a favor... He arrests James, not James, the half brother of Jesus. But this is James and John. This is James, the son of Zebedee. This is one of Jesus's disciples. This is an apostle. James is the first apostle that's martyred for his faith. And the Bible says that he laid hands violently on James and then he put him to death with the sword. If you were to look at history, history tells us what that means is that James was beheaded for his faith in Christ. It's an interesting thing, is it not? That a politician would put someone to death to please the people, to squash Christianity, 
because the Jews didn't like it. Oh, I forgot another important part. In order to justify what he did, if you went to Deuteronomy 13, there's a verse, there's a section there, a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 15. Where the Bible speaks of, if there's a man that arises among you that leads the people away, that man that leads the people away, away from the one true God, should be put to death. Do you know what that means Herod did? In order to, pick, in order to justify his actions of putting James to death, he used the Bible in the wrong way for a political advantage. Sound familiar? Some things never change. The exact same thing that happened there is the exact same thing that still happens today. Now, with all that being said, I want us to think about what it means to have a theology of martyrdom. So if you're taking notes, the very first thing I want you to write down is this. If you're going to develop a theology of martyrdom, the first thing you have to understand is this is not new. What we are experiencing is not new. Of course, we know that. We read the book of Acts. But you also need to know that this is not new or recent only to the first century Christians. In fact, go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Take your Bible, take your phone, take your tablet. Go with me to Genesis 4. One of the realities that I want you to understand when it comes to building a theology of martyrdom is as old as the world is since the fall of man Christians have been killed for their faith. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 8 we have recorded for us the very first martyr. Look at the Bible. Notice what it says. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and did what? And killed him. If you're not familiar with that story, I want to invite you to read that story because when you do, what you'll understand is this was premeditated murder in cold blood after God had already confronted Cain not to do what he not to do what was in his heart. And it was all because of the gospel. Cain murdered his own brother because his own brother was a genuine believer and Cain was not. That's where we see this trail of martyrdom begin. And we can trace it all the way to where we sit today in 2021. In fact, go with me to the Gospel of Luke. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke. And go with me to verse 51. From our own Lord and Savior's mouth, notice what he says. Luke chapter 11, verse 51. We'll back up actually to verse 49. Luke eleven forty-nine. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, 
so that the blood of all the prophets, listen to what Christ says, from when the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of who? Abel. That's what we just read in Genesis 4 verse 8. To who? Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that our faith, the Christian faith, is marked by people, by brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us, who have paid the ultimate price for following Jesus with their own life's blood. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll begin in verse 35. Notice what the Bible says. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Now notice. When we're reading about this, guys, we are reading about our family. Some of you like reading about your family trees, your genealogies. You trace all those things out. Brothers and sisters, when we read this, we're reading about our family. This is what our family has done for the sake of Christ. Notice, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Amen. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Brothers and sisters, to us, this is awesome. To someone who doesn't know Christ, this is foolish and folly. This is why Paul would say that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing because it makes no sense. Why would you live like this? Why would you be sawn into? Why would you give your life why would you wear animal skins? Why would you wander around like nomads? Why would you lose everything in this life? Well, it depends on what you think about Jesus. But this is our family tree. This is our family history. And when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is the lineage that you stepped into. This is the lineage that you stepped into. Brothers and sisters, some of us, when we look at our heritage, we are looking at bloodline. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are looking at our heritage, we're looking at Christ's bloodline. That's our lineage. That's our bloodline. 
It's his. And our brothers and sisters in Christ before us understood this. That to follow him meant, if needed, to suffer persecution. And in some cases, even to die a martyr's death. So the first thing that I want you to see, if we're going to have a theology of martyrdom, is this is not new. So that means we cannot throw our hands in the air and say, oh my goodness, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Somehow we just don't know what to do. Well, we look at the scriptures and we follow the example of the scriptures and we keep pressing on in the gospel. That's what we do. Second. Second. Your understanding of martyrdom is rooted clearly connected, rooted in your understanding of the gospel. Your understanding of martyrdom is connected to your understanding of the gospel. The modern version of the gospel says, if you want your life to get better, put Jesus on. He's like an app. Just add it to your phone. You'll be good to go. You'll use that app all the time. <clears throat> Some modern versions of the gospel are like this. You just need to pray this prayer, get this flu shot, get this Christian shot. You'll be good to go. You'll get your ticket to heaven. Brothers and sisters, there may be a strain of truth in some of that, but I'm here to tell you because I love you, that's not the whole gospel. Does God love sinners? Yes. Does God forgive sinners? Yes. Does God give new life to dead sinners? Yes. Does, is God patient with sinners? Yes. But there is a cost and there is a demand to the gospel. And that's the second thing I want you to understand. That this idea of martyrdom is rooted in our understanding of the gospel. You have to understand that there's a cost. Look with me at John 12. Pastor Eric read this in our call to worship. Appreciate you doing that for me, brother. Notice the text. Very familiar. Truly, truly. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever, lo whoever loves his life, what? Say it with me. Loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, does what? Keeps it for eternal life. Humanly speaking, that makes no sense. But that's the cost of the gospel. The cost of the gospel is you, yourself, dying to self, dying to your pride, dying to your selfishness, dying to being your own boss, going your own way, doing your own thing, coming up with your own plan that doesn't work that way. That's not the gospel. And Jesus was so very clear. He did come to give life. He did come to forgive. He did come to heal. He did come to do all those things. But he was super clear. If you are going to follow me, it will cost you everything. There's a cost. Jesus did not come to entertain Jesus did not come to tickle ears. Jesus did not come primarily to be your best friend, the big man in the sky, or any other thing that you might think of him. Jesus is Lord. 
He rules and he reigns. It's his gospel, not our gospel. He came up with it. He wrote the script for it. He wrote the plan for it. He's unfolding it. It's, he is accomplishing it. It's not us. And part of that is the cost. That if you're going to embrace what it means to be a Christian, you've got to understand that today. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking about being a Christian, I love you enough to tell you this. It will cost you everything. There's no codependency with Jesus. He's Lord. Jesus is not another bottle of alcohol that you add to try to do whatever, or another drug that you do to do whatever. No. Jesus is the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, and he says it will cost you everything. That's the gospel. Go with me to Romans, excuse me. Yeah, go with me to Romans 6.22. Romans 6.22, not only does it cost, but I want you to see that you get a new owner. This is not popular in American Christianity by any stretch of the imagination. Because we want Jesus how we want him. It doesn't work that way. Look at what Paul says in Romans 6.22. He says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its, and its end, eternal life. How did Paul describe the believer? As a slave to God. That we move from being a slave to sin to a slave to the one true God. No longer mastered by sin, no, matter, no longer mastered by darkness, but mastered by light, mastered by life, mastered by the Lord. We have a new owner. So this understanding of a theology of martyrdom means this. Because he's our Lord, we would be willing to face whatever persecution and suffering may come, and if needed, even pay with our lives. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Very familiar passage, Roman, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6. Notice what the Bible says. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Notice what it says next. You are what? You're not your own. Why? Because you were bought with a price. What should we do? Glorify God in our body. We belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. There was a transfer of title. Right? You ever purchased a car, purchased a motorcycle, purchased a home, whatever. There's a transfer of title. Our title's been transferred over to King Jesus. He owns us. He bought us with his life's blood. He ransomed us. So I want you to understand 
that not only is there a rich history of people that have gone before us that have paid with their life's blood for following Jesus, but your understanding of the gospel has a direct impact on the way that you see martyr, martyrdom. It does. This is what this means. If I were to pay my life, if I were to, if I were to die for my faith in Christ, it's just a logical extension of the fact that I've already died and I'm already found in Christ. Amen? It's just a logical outworking of the gospel. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. But can I tell you the problem? Can I tell you the rub for us as Christians? It's self-preservation. Self-preservation. We have a tendency to follow Jesus only as far as it costs us something. And once our sinful hearts rub up against the cost, that's where it gets hard. Part of that's the sanctification process. This is why I'm, this is why I'm telling you that it's, it's rooted in our understanding of the gospel. The gospel has no categories for a half-hearted, half-following Christian that will only follow God halfway or part of the way. The gospel only has room for people <coughs> that are willing to lay down their wants, lay down their desires, repent and believe the gospel and follow Christ fully, even if it means they're willing to die for him and they have to. That's the gospel, guys. Like it, love it, hate it. I'm just a mailman delivering you the message. But it's self-preservation that makes us push back against this. I'm telling you, the days may get harder for us in America. With this Equality Act, let me get personal. Do you realize that I probably, Pastor Eric and Pastor Tom, are probably going to lose our job? Because the Equality Act is going to have a direct impact on Christian churches, Christian schools, Christian nonprofits, Christian um, colleges and seminaries. If you stand for the gospel. But if you go in the direction of compromising, then you're fine. So that means probably coming pretty soon, unless the Lord intervenes, Pastor Eric, Pastor me, and Pastor Tom are going to be without a job. Does that make sense? So this isn't stuff that we're reading about that was a long ways away. It impacts us now. And if you own a business, the same will be true for you. It's coming. You've got to settle this in your heart now. You either walk a different path than the saints that have gone before us, or you get in line with those same saints, and you say, well, Lord, I'll follow you even if it costs me my life, even if it costs me my job, even if it costs me everything I have in this life. Even if I'm like this young teenage girl that had to bounce around from country to country because I don't got anything. That's the demands of the gospel, guys. That's tough for us as Americans because as Americans, we've been ingrained to be rugged individualists. I've talked about this so many times. We just have to get that out of our system. That is not the gospel. It's not. It's hard for us to... To wrap our mind around that. Number three, if you're taking notes, I need to speed up. You ready? You sure? You're sitting down, right? You are sitting down. Good. 
Martyrdom is part of God's plan. Martyrdom is part of God's plan. Go with me to Revelation 6. There's a mystery to God's providence, amen? And though we don't always understand what God is doing, one thing we do know is this. Everything he is doing is tied to his redemptive plan. Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing. Even martyrdom. Look with me in Revelation 6. Look with me at verse 10. The Bible says, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Who do you think speaking there? Every brother and sister in Christ that we've read about or people that we've not met that have, that have died a martyr's death. That's who he's talking about. Verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should what? Be complete. Who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I don't know if you catch that, Miss Kim. I'm sure you did as a former English teacher, but that was future tense. In other words, it hadn't happened yet, but it's going to. That there's a number that God has fixed, that God has ordained, that God has planned, that will die the martyr's death. They will pay the ultimate price with their life for their love to King Jesus. You just have to settle it. All the things that we're seeing in our country, you may not like. But all the things that we're seeing in our country may be what God uses to genuinely bring revival. It may be what God uses to see more people come to faith in Christ than in the first great awakening and in the second great awakening. Or any of the other revivals that are broke out. Do you see that? If you were to look at the world right now. And if you were to look at the places where Christianity is exploding, it's places where Christians, our brothers and sisters, are severely persecuted for their faith. Those places. Not places like America where it's comfortable and it's easy. Because we get distracted with so many things. It's in a place where believers are being persecuted and they have to have a laser-like focus on what it means to follow Jesus. And they are willing to be baptized publicly even if it means when they come up out of the water, they're taken away, arrested, and tortured, and maybe killed. That's counterintuitive to us. Because as Americans, we think we need to come up with a plan. We just need to come up with a model. We just need to come up with a formula. You want me to tell you God's formula? Adversity, hardship, persecution, and martyrdom. That's His formula. So I'm just trying to tell you what God does is good. What's happening is good. And it may be the best thing that could ever happen to us as a nation. It was, it's, sure, it's surely going to refine you and refine me. And it's surely going to refine every other church in America. We're going to see who's legit and not legit very soon. Easy to follow Jesus when it don't cost you squat. Hard to follow Jesus when it costs you everything. God's plan. Number four. Number four. 
to understand martyrdom, you've got to be a kingdom citizen. You've got to understand kingdom citizenship. Eric read this not too long ago. Back, go back with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Go to verse 20. Therefore, you already know the verse anyway, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, if you are a genuine follower of Christ this morning, the Bible says that you are his representative in this world. That means that you are his ambassador. We know this. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador lives in a country that's not his home country, and he represents his country to that people. That's us. Paul draws off of, that, off of that word picture, off of that reality to help us understand that we're kingdom citizens. That when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you got a new passport. And that passport says, I belong to the one true God. I belong to a different kingdom. So here's the deal. If you were to pay the ultimate price with your life for following Jesus, all you're doing is showing that this world is not your home. That you're just graduating to glory. You're just graduating to glory in a different way. Does that make sense? And I've said this recently, but I'm going to say this again. And I'm going to move on. Be careful that your Christianity is not too tied up to Americanism. Be careful. Be careful. <clears throat> Should we be concerned about our nation? Yes. Should we pray for our nation? Yes. Can we mix Christianity and politics? Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. The disciples wanted King Jesus to mix Christianity and politics, and what did he say? What did he tell Peter? Put away your sword. Just be careful. We live for a different kingdom. Number five, number five, it spreads the gospel. One of the things you have to understand about martyrdom is it spreads the gospel. One of the most ironic realities of church history from Abel all the way to us today is the more that Christianity has tried to be stamped out, the more it spreads. You can't kill it. You can't stop it. You never will stop it. And the harder the persecution comes, the more it spreads. You already know this a little bit in your own life. When have you grown the most in Christ? You've always grown the most in Christ when things are hardest. Always. It's the same at a bigger level for the gospel being spread around the world. And I've already mentioned it earlier. The places where the gospel is spreading the most is the place where there's the most severe persecution. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can't stop it. You can't. Somebody could come in here and take out me, take out Eric, take out Jim, take out Tom, take out one person after another, but you know what's going to happen? The church will be strengthened and the church will grow. Christ will be glorified and the gospel will be just fine. Let me show you. Go back to Acts chapter 12. <coughs> Acts chapter 12. Remember, Herod arrests James, an apostle, kills him. Verse 3, he arrests Peter. We'll look at that next week. With the intent to murder him too. So think about it. What does Herod Agrippa do? He arrests two of the most influential leaders in the church at that time. Right? Go to Acts 12, 24. What does the Bible say? But the word of God did what? It increased and it multiplied. You can't stop it. You can't, you can't thwart it. God's kingdom will be built. Finally, Number six, as we look at this theology of martyrdom, you ready? Persecution and martyrdom is a blessing. But you're only going to see it as a blessing if you understand the gospel rightly. And you're only going to see it as a blessing if you're not caught up in self-preservation. Go with me to Matthew 5. And this is where we'll land the plane. From our, own, from our Lord's own mouth. From a sermon he preached. Matthew 5.10. Thank you God for the overcast sky right now. <laughs> Look at the text. Blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Let me read that again. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophet's who were before you. There's a blessing that comes with suffering for Jesus. There's a blessing that comes with going through persecution. There's a blessing that comes for dying as a martyr for Jesus. He gets the glory and we benefit. He gets the glory, we remain on earth, we grow, we get a benefit. He gets the glory, we die, we benefit because who are we with? We're with King Jesus. That's what we sang about this morning. I'll fly away. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, God, that you help us have the right mindset when it comes to being a Christ follower. This is not a cultural thing, and this is not a game. This is not a cool t-shirt. This is not a bracelet that we wear. This is not a cool tattoo that we get. 
kingdom's not like that. The souls of men and women and boys and girls are at stake, Lord. You are saving your people. God, help us to understand that it's a good thing what we're going through. God, help us to be willing to think and to pray and to wrestle with what we talked about this morning. You may call some of us or all of us to go the way that James did. You may call none of us to go that way. It doesn't matter, Lord. At the end of the day, what matters is that we're willing to do what we need to do to follow you and put you first. God, I pray for all of us, Lord. I, I don't know about my brothers and sisters here this morning or those that are listening online. I'm not there, God. I need help. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that, Father. I, I think if we're honest, there's a lot of self-preservation in us. God, help us not follow you only till it costs. Help us follow you till it costs and then persevere through that cost and keep going looking at heaven. Lord God, at the end of the day, what it really is about is this, that we understand that what we gain in Christ is worth so much more than what we lose in this life. Oh God, help us not settle for an unbiblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus is better than we could ever conceive with our minds. Change us, Lord, and transform us, God. Rock us to the core, God. Wreck us with the gospel. We pray that for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we worship the Lord through song. <clears throat> Let's uh, finish out today. Use this as a prayer as we sing. Lord, be glorified. <clears throat> 